book one chapter four of the spy company a story of the mexican war by archibald clavering gunter this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by john brandon book one chapter four the fight for the desert spring in eighteen forty six on an ocean steamer on the gulf coast what was called supper was nearly always a pleasant meal this evening the breeze was blowing softly through the open transoms of the city of mobile the bright lights of the salon made the cabin cheerful and the languid splash of the waters outside under the paddles of the boat seemed to be a pleasant lullaby the menu was excellent but miss godfrey noticed that the captain of the texan rangers who came in considerably after she did and sat opposite her said very little and ate perhaps less so much so that mcgowan who announces that they will be in corpus christi early in the morning remarks still seasick eh captain hampton you have too delicate a stomach for salt-water cooking you should take a lesson in gastronomy from this young lady at my right hand she can handle a knife and fork in a gale of wind this is quite true miss godfrey somehow is in excellent spirits this evening and is doing full justice to a very good meal no romance in her appetite continues the skipper cheerily turning to his fair protege he suggests have another plate of waffles won't you thank you laughs estrella after that can i support your eulogy of my appetite with some of that buffalo tongue in front of you with pleasure this evening hampton will explain to you how they shoot these critters out on the plains i think i've told you that already responds the texan glancing across the table but the bright eyes of his exquisite vis-a-vis -vis make him seek his plate again though they don't increase his appetite for some occult reason the more beautiful miss godfrey appears to him the gloomier and more distrait this captain of rangers accustomed to the dangers of partisan warfare with savage enemies he seems to be almost afraid of gazing on the ethereal loveliness of the lady which this evening is pronounced enough to conquer more blasé gentlemen than the young fellow seated opposite to her though extremely cool-headed and facing almost inevitable death sharp has grown very warm-blooded in encountering the dashing light artillery of estrella's brown eyes this evening he thinks miss godfrey is beautiful enough to conquer anything that walks perhaps judging it is her last opportunity for some little time to wear the delicate garments of fashionable life this summery evening estrella is all in white her perfectly formed shoulders and rounded arms gleaming like ivory beneath the sheer muslins of her corsage zelma has bound up her hair a la greek but artfully destroyed classic severity by permitting two or three ringlets to escape and dangle upon the snowy neck this is not absolutely attic style but it suits captain hampton down to the ground as he mentally expresses it noticing his almost rustic embarrassment mcgowan who as a popular steamboat captain has witnessed many salt-water flirtations mercilessly remarks perhaps after dinner you will find something pleasanter than buffalo to chat about to miss godfrey you know he has had some experience he continues to the young lady he is a little seasick now but upon dry land i am told he is a frontier gallant 
and you can bet it's true i never saw a fighter who wasn't a lover it isn't quite fair captain to jump on a seasick man returns hampton he rises uneasily and mutters in fact i-i guess this cabin's too hot for me i'll-i'll go on deck and take a cigar a slight laugh in which estrella herself cannot help joining hastens his abrupt exodus from the table that fellow chuckles the captain is more dangerous than he looks colonel jack hayes who's travelled with me tells me hampton dances the fandango so well that the hombres in san antonio snap their yellow teeth like castanets and the senoritas down on the rio grande think he is the prettiest caballero who ever straddled a bucking mustang you want to look out for him miss godfrey ah then you should not have placed me in his charge captain mcgowan laughs estrella parrying his suggestion with that woman's tact which is given even to debutantes you must remember that i've only been out one season and i'm not accustomed to meet gentlemen who they say fight like paladins oh i'd risk you it's sharp i'm scared about answers the captain besides soon as we get to corpus christi that chap who's smoking his cigar on deck will have rivals the dashing bucks of taylor's army will be about you like bees around a honey tree to this the young lady doesn't answer it reminds her of young pelham and the souvenir he had taken from her at saratoga she knows the lieutenant rides with may's dragoons that perhaps tomorrow she will see his handsome figure and earnest eyes but as she steps on deck with mcgowan she puts this from her mind with a careless pshaw he must have forgotten me long ago scouting on the plains as she and the skipper pace together the port side of the hurricane deck the texan strides the starboard side rather chewing his cigar than smoking it he is pondering on a subject that disturbs him miss godfrey is the first highly accomplished and delicately bred anglo-saxon young lady he's ever met uncouth though comely trapper's daughters he has seen quite often with the semi-civilized beauties of the coquettish rebozo and floating nagawa that abound on the mexican border he has oft-footed the cachuca to the disgust of his compatriots but this eastern belle with her cultivated graces of mind and body is something he has never met before though in his short and only visit to new orleans from which he is returning he had looked at the louisiana beauties it had only been distantly from a seat in the opera house or theatre estrella's very delicacy and refinement make him extremely diffident he says to himself grimly miss highflyer doubtless thinks me a mixture of uncultured frontier lad and bloodthirsty bravo but gazes earnestly across the deck at the delicate beauty that is almost fairy-like in the moonlight catching a glance from the girl's bright eyes he recklessly tosses his cigar away and walks straight as the moth to the flame to miss godfrey who has been left by mcgowan seated on a steamer chair under the stern awning with that curious abruptness common to bashful men he remarks i have been thinking about your father miss godfrey oh thank you for coming to talk to me about him replies the girl eagerly and cordially 
tell me everything you know of him captain hampton you seemed this morning to rather avoid speaking of him her delicate hand and her almost pleading eyes indicate the camp-stool beside her the next second he was seated quite close to her saying earnestly only because i hesitated to mention to you a scene in his life that must greatly affect his daughter as a matter of fact the only time i ever really was with jim godfrey for more than a passing hour was just after that extraordinary little indian mexican skirmish from which your father was the only one who escaped alive yes the only one answers the girl her voice quivering tell me you could not have been there he was the only one who lived not there at the time but mighty shortly afterwards answers the ranger and if you do not think it will disturb your nerves too much i will tell you about it as well as i am able i was only a boy of fifteen then but there are certain scenes that get branded onto a man's memory early in eighteen thirty six i in company with a small band of texans was sent to scout on the upper waters of the guadalupe there were but few of us most of those who wore arms were getting ready on the lower san antonio and about goliad to meet the expected invasion of santa anna from mexico for in the previous december we had answered old ben milam's cry and avenged his blood in storming san antonio and sending general coe's hustling across the rio grande to tell his master santa anna that he and fifteen hundred mexican regulars had been driven out of the chief town in texas by some three hundred frontiersmen unaided by artillery and only armed with rifles pistols and arkansas toothpicks almost as soon as cause was squelched colonel travis who was in command at san antonio ordered some ten of us to patrol the sources of the guadalupe he feared that some mexican column might sneak in back of us from chihuahua and cut us off from the main texan force which was all too slowly assembling at gonzales for a few days we scouted upon and examined the headwaters of that river reaching the tag end of those barren plains that in new mexico are called the llano estacado and come down in middle texas almost to the rio grande though the country is not quite as barren there as it is further up springs are mighty few and far between and upon the sun-dried mesa getting enough water for man and beast is about as hard as trapping coyotes our work had to be done very carefully for we were upon the borders of the indian country and while we were looking for mexicans might be surprised and jumped on by comanches so we all kept our eyes mighty wide open one morning just at the border of this bad land jake luttrell and i came on to our astonishment among the pinion timber about the base of some outlying buttes a trail though the imprints were those of moccasins we knew that no indian feet had made them because they turned outward tracking this for about an hour we overtook a crazy white man dressed in store clothes he was raving with delirium from the hot sun 
his tongue black as a watermelon seed from lack of water on seeing us he uttered a shriek and fled from us being mounted we rapidly overtook him seized him poured water down his throat and gave him the best succor possible out on the prairie after drinking our canteens dry he revived sufficiently to tell us that he and a party of five others had had a brush with a band of mexican volunteer cavalry somewhere to the south of us by this time the balance of the command had overtaken us greasers to the south was passed along we were not accustomed to count noses in those days and we didn't ask how many taking the man with us who was still a time so delirious we had to tie him on an extra pack mule we started off on one of the most terrific jaunts i have ever ridden even in february the vegetation was parched upon that arid plain of course we had taken the precaution to fill our canteens when we left the last little creek that trickled down the escarpment to join the guadalupe for we guessed water would be almighty scarce upon the mesa as we rode on the burning sun overhead seemed to blister us it was the hottest winter day i have ever seen in texas and would have been a broiler even in the middle of summer not a breath of air was stirring over the arid tableland and mighty soon our mustangs began to suffer but stimulated by the hope of wiping out the rancheros we traveled one whole day and part of the next by this time we were beginning to think not of mexican cavalry but of water to keep us alive already two or three of the pack mules had given up and thrown themselves down upon the baked adobe soil to die the veteran frontiersman in command of us had a very gloomy look upon his gaunt visage as he rode along chewing some tasejo to get a little saliva in his mouth in fact those of us who were not chewing jerked beef were chewing bullets to keep our tongues from swelling till they choked us just then a little breeze the first that had fanned us sprang up from the west luttrell who was riding beside me chancing to gaze over the cactus plain suddenly cried golly look at them mules that we've left behind us boys we're saved for the two mules that had given up and were lying down had staggered to their feet and were loping off towards the west new life in them all animals have an instinct for water but a mule can scent it farther than a buzzard can see a carcass luttrell knew this and he implored our captain to follow them i've seen em boys run seven hours clean off the trail and find water for god's sake get after em he implored to our commander so we tore helter-skelter after the mules the mexican cavalry might be south of us but we were so thirsty we thought only that a spring might be within reach of us so our horses loped and staggered along for two hours when the mules ran plump into a spring of living water i could no more have held my bronco from going into it 
than i could have held a cannon-ball from one of those eighteen-pounder guns down at corpus christi as our mustangs sprang in we jumped off them and man and beast drank together like mad i had scarce filled myself and i think i took about a gallon when luttrell clapped me on the shoulder and whispered sharp look see what's about us just then several of our men uttered hoarse cries i sprang up and saw that we had ridden into the scene of an almighty tough scrimmage but had been so crazed for water we hadn't noticed it dead men lay all about that spring some in the uniforms of the mexican lancers some in the buckskin of the trapper and one dressed in store clothes though he wore high boots and leggings ready boys injuns cried our leader indians i don't see any i half laughed out on the plain there was no cover save a gully half a mile away full of mesquite brush and prickly cactus injuns sure said luttrell look ye little greenhorn every dead man lying around here greaser or american has been scalped like a streak we were in the middle and reconnoitred that plain mighty carefully though we kept half a dozen men about the spring for we knew that would be the vital point in a long fight the crowd that had water must whip all our scouts returned in the course of an hour or two and said no indian signs in sight except the trail of a big comanche war party that had apparently travelled out to the northwest probably two days before so we went to doing the christian act by the dead americans the greasers we left to their friends the vultures though we examined the ground carefully and even the mesquite chaparral not a sign of dead indian could we find about the four men there were five americans in all were known to some of our command as buffalo hunters the man in store clothes was utterly unknown to any of us he was probably some mining prospector or speculator in lands because the only things we could find in his pockets were two or three lumps of black stuff the boys allowed must be coal and a surveyor's chain and compass i suppose the varmints left them fear and the instruments were bad medicine everything else had been taken from him by the indians except one of those little golden circles that i have seen on so many dead men's breasts after a fight the boys don't like to look at them those who know what they mean never tell even though old luttrell turned his head away when he saw that golden sign on the dead man's body is it like like this one asks miss godfrey producing the little circle which nearly two years before in saratoga had perturbed the great united states senator exactly returns the texan after he has examined it by the light coming from the open window of the cabin where did you get this he asked curiously it was one my mother brought with her from texas she said my father wore it when i was a little girl yes many of those who have come to us from the united states 
have worn em remarked hampton most people in texas don't like to talk about em but i reckon they're a sign of some great secret society probably only political in its ends certainly not criminal for some of the bravest and noblest men who have fallen in battle for texas have borne that symbol but to go on with my story he continues as we journeyed down the guadalupe the man we had found in the buttes gradually got back his senses during this from the broken words he gave to us from time to time i put off the combat around that rock springs that's what they call it now about in this peculiar and weird way that spring of living water twenty mexican lancers scouting from the direction of eagle pass and the rio grande had taken possession of the six texans coming from the other way their horses worn out by heat and thirst themselves made desperate by want of water had attacked for apparently the fight had been made by the twenty greasers to keep the six americans from getting a taste of that spring the combat had been hand to hand desperate bloody pistols against lances rifles against escapitas and bowie knives against machetes our crowd had won butchered the rancheros to a man though all of the americans had been killed except the crazy fellow we were bringing back with us but here's the curious part of it while this combat was going on fifty indians in war paint coming over the plain had looked grimly at it until greaser and white man had gone down together and then had quietly ridden in and scalped the dead made ready for their devilment but by some trick of the frontier or act of providence they had missed this one man who had flown before them and somehow escaped and got down into the buttes where we had found him just in time to save his life this i figured out from the position of the bodies and accoutrements and a few wandering horses saddled and bridled that we found grazing near the spring as we returned down the guadalupe gradually the man recovered his senses and became known to us by the papers on him so we took him back to where he belonged the great hacienda of live oaks below san antonio here a new horror put all his brains back into him for we found the adobe buildings had been gutted by general coase and his greasers in his retreat and every head of livestock and every nigger run off and every man upon it massacred there was no more life at the hacienda of live oaks than there had been life at the lone spring upon the mesa one hundred and fifty miles away except a dog the man called pinto who came to him and licked his hand for the crazy demented fugitive we had picked up in the buttes was jim godfrey your father i had guessed this whispers estrella sadly how he must have suffered then she continues in anxious tone you you're quite sure that his mind was not permanently affected in any way certainly 
returns the captain decidedly your dad's very misfortunes seem to give new life and energy to him the moment he discovered everyone was dead about the plantation that it had been entirely destroyed the vigor of a man who will not be crushed seemed to come into him even while we rangers stood about the ruined hacienda your father with indomitable nerve was already taking measures to build it up again without assistance he dug up from a place where it had been concealed in the masonry of the building a chest containing not only his business papers but a large quantity of money in united states gold for a very little while i think he had an idea of taking this money and leaving the plantation and going back to the states but that was only for an hour or two even when our scouts came in and reported that the mexicans had run off every nigger and killed every white man on the plantation and that there was not a living thing within forty miles of us except wild animals your father had made up his mind to rebuild i heard him say to luttrell five hundred thousand acres is a principality why shouldn't i stay and hold it four years from that time chancing to be on a scout at the atascosa with hayes rangers i visited live oaks i found it rebuilt a lot of new niggers purchased in louisiana were at work in the fields more white settlers brought from the states had joined your father determined not to have it destroyed again jim godfrey had fortified the rancho and armed it in proof of this today the hacienda of live oaks is the only inhabited station between san antonio and corpus christi with the exception of the cabin of one family of life-in-your-hand trappers who live near aransas bay your father's great trouble will be to get you to his rancho safely but probably he has brought enough of his followers with him to make your journey comparatively secure especially as taylor's projected movements to the rio grande will occupy all the mexican forces ah you make me very happy replies his listener her eyes beaming every word you have uttered has proclaimed my father's devotion to me even with his great losses and destroyed estate he within a year afterwards sent sufficient money for my mother's and my comfort in new york and soon after enough for even my luxury very well then let's take the trail to livelier topics suggests the captain the darkies are singing some plantation melodies in the steerage would you like to hear them for sounds of the banjo are floating over the soft and quiet waters with pleasure remarks the young lady and under his escort strolls forward to listen to o susanna nelly gray and the arkansas traveller and see a big darky roust about from louisiana do a terrific double shuffle levee dance on the hurricane deck you like music she asked the captain 
well yes possibly because i've heard so very little of it you know i never listened to an opera until i went into the academy in new orleans there was a soul in that melody which made my eyes water and i'm not considered about here by the greasers particularly chicken-hearted italian music about a troubadour ah like to hear some italian melodies tonight from from your lips oh i'm not a prima donna but i think i know some of the songs from il travatore you listened to that evening in new orleans miss godfrey steps into the cabin and gives some directions to her maid a few moments after she and the captain are seated near the stern of the boat zelma brings to her mistress a guitar then hampton as he expresses it to himself hears the band begin to play and thinks that miss godfrey singing sweet italian love songs in the moonlight beats the new orleans prima donnas all to flinders at all events her melodies make me loony cogitates the texan after the young lady has gone away to her cabin then he abruptly mutters where in thunder have i seen her features lighting a cigar he paces the deck turning the thing over in his mind finally he concludes it is so long ago he cannot locate it yet even after he has turned in as he lies in his berth miss godfrey's radiant features will come back to him the face i remember was of course not so pretty as hers jumping mustangs nothing could be as pretty as hers he thinks half dreamily as he tosses on the pillow suddenly he gives a start shudders slightly and mutters snakes and gators have i gone daft by the eternal the face that looked like hers had been scalped end of book one chapter four recording by john brandon